0: Welcome to Anime Slaybellery. Crunchy conversations about holiday cartoons. Uh, nothing better represents our world than this colorful collection
1: of singing, dancing, magic beings meeting here today.
0: Like me, Matsy, And me, Micah. So, on Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. And the next week... We review and discuss them. We have a wintry and a an holiday bunch of shorts this week. There'll be some Tom and Jerry and some Pepe Le Pew and unforgettable other characters like Grampy and some kid named Alma. First, we do our freeform thing. What you got, Matzy? Okay, last week, at some point, it
1: was implied that... If you were going to bombard the show with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean, mm-hmm. then I would bombard the show with Centaur World Season 2. And I don't know about you,
0: but I'm prepared to live up to my end of the bargain. Well, yeah. regarding, mm- regarding Centaur World, let's see, where have I watched up to? I've watched up to the Tunnelers, like ah, them recruiting so the Tunnelers. It yeah. was part three yeah. is the name of that episode.
1: Okay, good to know. Um, So I've watched all of it. Mm-hmm. And my opinion is that there's there was a movie review. I love to quote this. It was a movie review of Men in Black 2. I think it might have been Roger Ebert, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Whoever it was basically said, to paraphrase, With Men in Black, you had never seen anything like it. And with Men in Black 2, you've seen something exactly like it. Hmm. And that's kind of Centaur World Season 2. It's not going to do anything to win you over if you weren't already a fan of Centaur World. And if you are a fan of Centaur World, it's not going to revolutionize your opinion of it. Indeed, the first episode, so you, your opinion of Centaur World is not as strong as mine generally. And I think that's in part because of the overbearing goofiness of some of the characters, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, that's a big part of it.
1: Yeah. Um, The first episode of season two introduces a character who was too much even for me. I, uh, her name is Melangela. And I was instantly done with her. She is literally drunk. And.
0: Yeah, I didn't know which way you'd go on her.
1: Yeah, I it that was too much. Um, Overall, I like it. I don't think it's as good as uh, season one. In fact, Micah, I think you might be right at the point where it kind of loses its steam. Because I oh. think all the charm of it is in the first half. Um, I think a big part of it is that the songs aren't as good. Uh, Season one had me running to iTunes to find the soundtrack. Mm. And season two had me walking to iTunes
0: to <laughs> find the two and a half good songs. You know, I... Of course, it begins with a song. And, yeah. And then I kind of have a hard time remembering other songs I've heard. The good Yeah. I mean, that's a big. I don't really remember much at all. Um, I mean, it's, it, uh,
1: all the songs are just so unmemorable.
0: Yeah. I It's fresh in my mind. Uh, the duet between uh, Horse and uh, wink where they're singing about their um, their rivals I remember yes. that one. It's pretty good. That's, that's, that might be the best song in the entire
1: series. Mm. Definitely the best song in this season. I also like the song in the episode before that with uh, Glendale singing about
0: breathing into a bag. She sung a lot of songs at this point for me. She ha- yeah, yeah. And she's got a good voice, so that's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Like it is,
1: which is weird because like her speaking voice is so bad. Is it the same person? Yes. Okay. Uh, Megan Dong, the creator of the show. Mm. Right, um, right. And yeah, like she, Glendale's voice, because Glendale has a few different voices. Her default voice is kind of like this, <laughs> which is really tiresome. But then she can turn it normal when she wants to. Or even like in, in the third episode, which is called My Tummy, Your Hurts, she's mm. basically giving a TED talk about anxiety. And I mean, you've seen it, but I'm telling the people. Yeah. And and she kind of puts on this low key voice like this as she's explaining things, Um, which is interesting. Like, I think I think Megan Dong might have some chops as a voice actress, although I don't like Glendale's basic voice.
0: Mm. I think I like I like her design best of the herd. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I like One, one wink is pretty good, too. A Wama Wink is great. Uh, yeah.
1: I actually found it really funny. The second episode, which is called All Herd, All the Turd, hmm. uh, involves the <laughs> bird tars being basically the centaur, the centaur world fandom. Yeah. And there's an amusing moment where they all uh, list off the fandoms that they're divided into and proclaim that there are no Wamawink fans, because the one thing they can all agree on is that Wamawink is
0: the worst character. Which is funny because I'm not much a fan of Doug, so. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's kind of the joke. Yeah. Like that, that
1: one Pelican uh, mouthpiece. Yeah. Is like, he is the only member of the, the comfortable Doug fan club. Well, he's sure in the show a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I found like, and he doesn't stop being in the show. Yeah. Uh. Um, There's there's going to be more comfortable Doug. Um, Comfortable Doug is another character who is like right on the cusp of tiresome. And he's Mm. in he's in season two enough to kind of cross that threshold, I think, where I'm kind of like like there's some things I like his I like the way he talks sometimes. um, But I think he's like I didn't need more of him. It kind of feels like this one character, you know, if. If this show was a year old and not six months old, Mm -hmm. it feels like there would have been an internet movement that would have been like, look at this crazy character. And then, you know, like My Little Pony, where somebody will point out one character in My Little Pony, and then the cradles will make that character like more important than they are.
0: Oh, but it didn't have time to build steam anyway, as you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. it
1: just feels like it feels like they kind of went, oh, we know Comfortable Doug is going to be a big deal, so let's put in extra Comfortable Doug in this season or maybe the... Because the voice actor is a guy named Fluga Borg, who I think is a musician from Germany. And maybe he was just expensive enough that
0: they needed to put in more of him. Oh, Flula? He's funny. Oh, Flula. Yeah, he, he's, he's funny. Like, I, I don't know what he is aside from a talk show guest, <laughs> but he's funny yeah. as that.
1: <laughs> I think he is a musician of some kind. Okay. I'm
0: not,
1: I, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, I won't give any spoilers, but... I think the thing that I felt most awkward about after this season, which is the last season, by the way, it ends. Oh, the the last episode, the last episode is an hour and 15 minute extra long episode, which ends with a the end title card.
0: Okay, well, good, good. Yeah,
1: it's possible they could do more. But like the story that they're telling involving the villain, uh, the nowhere king, is wrapped up. Hmm. um, And I kind of, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to spoil it. I don't, I'm not going to talk too much about the ending, but I did find the last episode a little bit weird. I won't, I won't give any details, but I'll say that there was a YouTube video I didn't watch, but the thumbnail, it was a review of it. And the thumbnail included the phrase payoff with no setup. Oh, and I think that, Really, like, that made it click for me, like, why I wasn't entirely... I think the story told is a good one, but the storytelling leaves a little something to be desired. Okay. You kind of wait until that last episode and then slowly info dump everything you need to know. Hmm. And I... I mean, I liked being surprised by it. Like there was a moment where I actually I could see what was about to happen. And I said out loud, no, because I it it hit me. What was what what the story was? But yeah. and I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being surprised. But at the same time, I couldn't help but feel like, you know, I, I don't know how I would have done it differently. But at the same time, it's just weird to have it all show up. At the
0: very end. You know, I th- I think that it's hard to tell a quote-unquote good story. Like, mm. I was thinking... Uh, <laughs> today, I, w- I was kind of summarizing my thoughts on various Ghibli movies. Yes. And I also read various reviews of them. Like, ones that maybe weren't so sparkling. And a lot of them would say, like, that this isn't justified and, you know this feels like it's out of nowhere. And mm. I, I think it's about the level of engagement, right? Like it's hard to write a story that remains solid if the person is not engaged. Mm. So you say the ending is kind of like a surprise that hits you. It hits you because you're engaged and it works just fine. I think mm. that's, that's most stories really. Like there's stories yeah. I watched, I think, oh, this is great. And then I'm watching it with somebody who's not that into it and he's just like, He, you know, and maybe will predict things that you wouldn't if you were uh, following along, if you were invested in the characters, that kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay, one thing that bugs uh, me—it's about Ched and it's about the other bird tars. Everything Mm -hmm. in this has got four legs. Now, Ched Mm -hmm. has like, and a lot of these bird tars have wings that are sometimes arms. That's not the same thing. Why don't they have four legs and wings? Uh, It's a good question, and I think the
1: answer to that is that birds, non-tar birds, also have two legs. Like, I think it's like the animal, I think the real problem isn't that they have two legs, it's that their upper bodies aren't human enough. Maybe. Yeah, they just look like birds a lot of them. Although, that said, they are all wearing t-shirts with their favorite characters' faces on them, so maybe they have humanoid
0: pecs and boobs underneath Well, well, Ched does for sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but like even the plants and inanimate objects and forces of nature have four legs. So it really seems- That is true. The worms have four legs. (laughs) So why don't the birds?
1: (laughs) You know what? That's that's a good point. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I liked a moment in that third episode where Glendale is introducing the horse to mm. the cold Tars. Oh, right. And she's like,
0: she's like, let's see. She's got- four legs, no arms and only one rib cage. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was funny. You know, there's a running joke that I'm surprised, well, no. Uh it doesn't run. That's what surprised me. Uh I think it's at the uh the Ice Tars. They have an mm-hmm. argument about the disparity between paces and meters. Yeah. And I expect like I, th- I I can't remember if this is the exact joke or if this is me polishing the joke, but Where they say, like, maybe it's 100 meters, give or take 50 paces. Something like that, right? right? Yeah. And they say paces throughout the rest of that episode and future episodes. I thought that that would be a running joke where people would say meters and get argued with paces. But anyway, it wasn't. There there may or may not be in episodes after the ones you've watched.
1: I honestly can't remember. Mm. Um, Because... I don't think it would be much of a spoiler to say that there is a final battle.
0: Okay, uh, sure. So the
1: the cold tars do come back. So maybe there is more of that. I, I, I honestly don't remember a, a detail that small, but yeah.
0: Let's see. Other things I thought, like the, the shaman, her name is uh, Water Baby, right? Yeah. Okay. It seems weird to me <laughs> how poorly adjusted she is to the antics of Centaur World. Hmm. <laughs> She's kind of a straight man, even more than horses. It's kind of weird. A little bit.
1: I mean, she does some weird things. Like, when she first shows up, she's disguised as a deer. Like, I actually forgot that Water Baby was in the human world. And right. This, there was <laughs> yeah. this deer that all the other deer were looking at weird. And then this deer, like, kind of flopped to the side, like, stalk still. Yeah. And, like, rolled sideways end over end. And that right. was Water Baby. And I was like, okay, that's... Right. Okay. So that's water baby doing something weird. I get it. But you're right. Like, you know, comfortable Doug shows up and she's like, you know, why are you like this? What the, or, or yeah. even, you know, her rutabaga guitars. Yeah. Um. Instead of doing what they want, they start dancing and singing and she's like, what are you doing? Right. That's a good point. Like, yeah. Like, you know, if you live in centaur world long enough, you see people being idiots all the
0: time. Well, maybe it's just because because she, <laughs> she's in the real world. There's no horse <laughs> to have this reaction. Maybe. Um, <laughs> now, regarding horse, <laughs> half of my poll was how compelling I found her design. And, yep. And, you know, the beautiful voice coming out of this uh, brick of a uh, draft horse. Yep. And I got to say that I really don't like her cartoon design. So it really is... The pendulum swung so hard. Mm, I remember. I remember that in season one. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny. Almost as a surrogate, I find myself looking at Stabby because he's the realistic member of the herd. Well, for a little while anyway.
1: I was going to say, I was like kind of sucking in my breaths, like, oh, is this
0: going to be <laughs> another? <laughs> Has he been to that episode yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like Stabby. He's funny. Um I kind of was not that into the first handful of episodes, but, Mm. oh, I actually, I'm a little further than I said. Uh, I said I was at the uh, recruitment of the, uh, I was at the holes episode. Actually, I'm one further. I'm at the episode where horse discovers her power, which I really liked. Ah. I thought that was fun. Scrunch, I think that episode's called. Yeah. I thought that was fun. I thought that was fun learning about uh, the various characters that I otherwise yeah. kind of don't like. <laughs> huh.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you get varying levels of their backstory. Like, yeah, you know, Glendale is like her backstory is she was running away from Wama Wink one time. All oh, right. I do like the implication. Like there's a song in that episode where she's singing about her her tummy portal. Right. So to recap, Glendale has a portal in her tummy and she's a kleptomaniac and she steals everything she can and shoves it into that portal hole. Mm. And I like, there's two things that I liked. One, in the, in the Cold Tars episode, um, there's a moment where she says kind of darkly, everything will end up in there eventually. And in the episode you're talking about, there's a moment where she's, uh, She says offhand at some point that her her portal tummy talks to her and tells her to steal stuff. Mm. And I kind of like this dark implication that Glendale just has this portal that wants to absorb the entire world and is talking to her
0: to get her to do it. (laughs) It's her warlock patron. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, a visual thing about the show. That I became kind of fixated on because I was wondering how do they because the show is is it's got a soft shaded style, so yeah. it's got mostly for shading sometimes for like textures or warmed flesh or the like, mm-hmm. um, and it got me to <laughs> kind of distractedly look all the time for how well it was done. Oh yeah, uh, there was a indie video game years back called Dust. And oh, Dust and Elysian Tale. Yes, oh, and that they, game rules. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, but the cutscenes—not cutscenes, but uh, the dialogues—would yeah. bring up uh, close-ups of the actors. Yeah, and I know how this is done. So their shading was also soft, mm-hmm. but they would, uh, in in planning, it, it, when they were when, when drawing it out, they would do a hard cell shade, right? So they would yeah. block off this and then what what they would do is they'd select that and empty it or you know hide the layer or whatever and yeah. then they would feather the edge so that it had a soft a soft edge yeah uh the problem with that if you just kind of do it in automated process that doesn't have a lot of cleaning up is that when it when that shading goes to the very ed- boundary of like say a face or an arm or whatever mm-hmm. then the shading is soft to that edge too, if you know what I mean. So, like, say say my arm was blue and then I have a shading of a darker blue. You're going to see that light blue around the edge because it's feathered Mm. there. They needed to go in and clean that up and they didn't anywhere in dust, which Mm. always looked distracting to me. (laughs) That's interesting. I'll probably have to show this on Twitter because I'm sure a lot of people are mystified as to what I'm talking about here. But (laughs) I was looking for it on Centaur World... And it's not there all the time, which leads me to think that, like, there was some irregular work being done where it was just like, oh, I'll clean this up a little bit this way or that way, freehand and the like. But mm. then on time crunch, that doesn't get done. And it's just what I'm saying. Where like, there's those messy edges with regard to going to the the boundaries of an object. And I was mm. just looking for it all episode. Now, the palette's so light and... Uh, there's so much going on visually that often it's not really a big deal. Like I said, in fact, most people won't even notice it. But once I started noticing it, I was looking <laughs> for it constantly. <laughs> oh, I know what you're saying. Like, I, yeah. I remember I, I really liked, uh, I've said
1: before, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Mm-hmm. And I watched like the first, I don't know, two or three seasons or something. And then somebody somewhere, Twitter, Tumblr, I don't remember. Hmm complained about uh, the raccoon shading on the faces.
0: Oh, because it misses the eyes and stuff. Yeah. like a
1: char- Yeah, they have like this blush that kind of goes over the bridge of the nose and onto the cheeks. Yeah. And I suddenly realized that every character has that all the time. And for the next, oh, you know, two right. or three seasons, however many were left, it's all I could see. Uh. And it just kind of, it was like, man... I really like this show. Why do I have to notice this one dumb thing?
0: Hey, <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, it doesn't. It doesn't really bug me that bad. It works better here no. than it did in Dust, but yeah. Dust is a great game, by the way. You should
1: if you find it on Steam or Switch or whatever, you should probably play it. It's a tremendous like combo based combat Metroidvania, but a cat.
0: Oh, it's it's so addictive using the nimbat magic in order to propel your mm. hang time and just zigzagging back and forth. And <laughs> oh no, air. kidding! Oh, yeah. kid. I think there's <laughs> something
1: like an achievement or something for. I played it on the Xbox 360, and I think there's an achievement or something yeah. for getting like a thousand hit combo. Mm. And I did it. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother. I I recommended that game to my brother. I said like, you should totally play this. And like, you know, a short time later, I saw him on Twitter saying like. It's been a long time since I've been as sad to finish a game as Dust. Heh. Yeah. Yeah, that game's great. Um, but speaking of Dust. Yes. Or not. Um, what kind of dusty old bones full
0: of green dust do you have to talk about? You know what? I'm kicking JoJo's down the road. <laughs> 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 I, I just had too many other things going on, so. I talked about Centaur World for nothing. <laughs> Okay, uh, but but I've got worthy replacements. First off, I watched a Garfield Christmas special. Oh boy! The, the one from 1988. Bonus review. Yes. Wait, well, did I, you
1: say 19? Did you say 1988? Yeah. It's that I could have sworn it came before that. I am, you know, I am shocked to learn. I am shocked to learn that that special is that young.
0: Well, it's. Uh, the uh, Garfield and Friends had been out already. That's you know Let wild! Me Let me double check, just to be sure. Garfield Christmas. Oh, it says 87 here. I don't know. Um, mm. 87, Still. 88. Tomato, tomato, So, Still, that's I. Mm, that's a little later than I would have expected, but whatever. Yeah, so in this one... Uh, john packs up the pets and takes them back to the farm for a family christmas now it's kind of funny i do remember this cartoon at first i didn't but then you know things happened and memories triggered but Mm -hmm. i remember the comics that it was derived from better kind of funny huh i remember
1: like a i i guess i always assumed it was a Uh, a
0: book adaptation of this special not the other way around i don't think so maybe maybe it's both because i remember it was daily strips so maybe it was this weird cycle where it's daily strips becomes tv special becomes uh storybook yeah Hmm. Yeah? (laughs) man Recycled twice over um (laughs) that's garfield (laughs) for (laughs) you yes uh Oh, I, I've got some stuff on that in a bit. But first of all, my <laughs> some impressions <laughs> I have from this episode. Um, so, uh, John's grandmother plays a big part in it. She's one of the main yeah. characters, I guess you could say. And so, she's like a hardy country woman. And when John gets in, the first thing she does is get up from her chair and challenge uh, John to punch her in her flat stomach. Yeah. <laughs> and as she cuts that figure... I couldn't help but think of those ads that go like, hot gilfs want to meet you in Port Moody tonight. <laughs> then there's Doc Boy. He's more cantankerous than I remember. I, I didn't really remember anything about him, truthfully. Mm. And funny, when I, look at, when I look at John, he looks like uh, his mother's son. But I think he and Doc Boy look like half brothers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So who knows what's going on there? (laughs) Anyway, so I watched that thing and then (laughs) I've been on a Garfield kick. (laughs) Not TV show. Not TV show. Not TV show. Like investigations, right? I've been looking at the uh, 1976 strip, I guess it is. John. Did you know about this?
1: Um, I might. I know that, let's see, Jim Davis did something called Norm the Nat. Yeah. I think I'm vaguely aware that there was a John comic.
0: (laughs) So I was looking that up. So you talked about recycling. A lot of the John comics, like he was just, I I guess you can't blame him too hard on this. He was kind of like, writing it for Podunk, right? Or, you know, for, for yeah, some paper yeah. in Indiana. And then yeah. when I guess when he gets syndicated, he recycled a lot of those gags for Garfield. Like, word for word, yeah. layout for layout.
1: I mean, I get, like you said, you can't, you know, if, if he made a comic that nobody saw and then made a comic that everybody saw, you can't blame him for thinking, oh, these good gags that I made two years ago,
0: I can do them and people will see them now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Hold on a second here. <laughs> I have something to show you. <laughs> it's Garfield's Garfield's original design. It's oh, more fan- original than the original? Yeah, it's fantastic. And oh. in fact, I I clipped a great <laughs> a great panel out of context. Uh, okay. Okay. So this is Garfield's original design, and a pretty good panel, I think, as well. Hmm.
1: <laughs> okay. Um,
0: <laughs> so, the, okay. So, you'll you'll see this on my Twitter, but uh, it's 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 a panel of of Garfield and John looking at television, and John looking stunned while Garfield thinks, "Thanks, OJ," as in OJ Simpson. Boy. Anyway, <laughs> boy, and and Garfield himself has these weird, cloudy, flabby undercarriage cheeks.
1: Man. I mean, the the original Garfield design, you know, it's weird. Like, he kind of... He, he turned into a pyramid and then turned back into that, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, what really... I was all set to react to Garfield's design, but boy, that thanks OJ.
0: <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 years before the
1: fact. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: That... That should be a meme. Oh, I've got so much more, too. I'm going to memeify all those John comics. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They're pretty interesting. Anyway, so that's one way I profitably spent my time this past week. Let's see. What else is going on? Um, oh, the reason I was thinking especially about Ghibli movies is I watched Earwig and the Witch. Hmm. You know that one? I'm not sure sounds like a bunch of random words right um China so Earwig and the Witch it's directed by Goro Miyazaki and yeah it's their first CG fully CG oh uh, it's short I think it broadcasts on television and when it was previewed when people got a chance to see what this thing looked like before before it fully released people dumped on it they dumped on it so hard uh Cause they felt that the CG didn't look up to snuff and it kind of doesn't now. I don't know. Like since then, Goro said that he's trying to emulate um, stop motion. Okay. Which kind of makes me wonder why I just didn't do stop motion, but you can kind of see it. Like, um, I don't know. Once you have a little look, you can compare that. Like the shadows are just sort of dark. You know what I mean? Like they make things Hmm. gray. So that seems weird for a Ghibli movie like I think they would should have had that their characteristic well color palette um, mm. but they interpret the designs pretty well the 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 Earwig and the Witch what it's about it's it's adapted from a Diana Wynne Jones story um, and it's about uh, a little girl in an orphanage named renamed Erica because they thought Earwig was not an appropriate name um, mm. unknowingly she's the daughter of a witch And uh, one day, despite her best attempts not to be adopted, she's chosen by this odd couple that are a witch and a demon warlock. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, The thing is, uh, so people were dead set on hating this, I think, because of the look. And then they couldn't they couldn't accept her character. So when you think of most Ghibli heroines, most girl like little girl heroines, they're um they're usually like earnest and hardworking, right? Or they become that way, you know? Yeah. Well, Earwig is totally egocentric. And um I think people throw around the word sociopath too lightly. <laughs> but I think she might be one because mm. I don't like she doesn't spend any of this movie moping like, oh, I'm an orphan, right? Or oh, I'm so sad. Or... <laughs> she's, if anything, most of the time, she's conniving or irritated. <laughs> but despite the fact that I, I posit that she doesn't have the same feelings as other people, she <laughs> understands them and manipulates everyone. So she actually loves being an orphan because like, she, the reason why she doesn't want to be adopted is because she has control of an entire orphanage and she looks at having merely control of a family as a downgrade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of reviews I read said that they didn't like her character. They found her impossible to sympathize with. But I quite like that she's so driven, you know, and uh, that she I don't think she's entirely selfish. I mean, she is. But... (laughs) To the degree that she can, she cares about other people, right? So, okay. And then, you know, I think the designs are good. And I think if people give it a chance, like I have, I've mentioned it before, my pet theory that most people are, are not really fans of Ghibli in the West, you know, mm. they'll pay a lip service. But then when you dig, it's like, no, I didn't watch that one or that this or that one doesn't have that Ghibli magic. And it's like, well, which one yeah. does to your thinking, right? It's like you yeah. didn't like this and that one. So uh, I think this one should be pretty accessible. It's a good short story. Um, I think the witchiness is very conventional to Western expectations. Like there's eyes of Newt and sprig of belladonna and all that kind of thing. Mm. I had a really good time. So I hope I hope people give it a shot. Even though everybody kind of wants to dump on Jubilee for trying computer animation. I'm I'm just looking at some images
1: now, and yeah. I'm like. Uh, it's like, yeah, I can mm, I can sort of see how seeing still images of this, you might mm. think, boy, this looks straight to video or whatever. Um, right. But but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to form my complete opinion of the entire thing just based
0: on these still images that I'm seeing. Yeah, it's, it's a fun time. And uh, some of the other complaints is that people felt it ended abruptly. I mm. think it 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 leaves mystery. But the essential storyline of what's she going to do in a house with a cruel witch and a <laughs> a bonkers demon guy thing, hmm. uh, she, you know, she faces it and deals with it. And, you know, that's that's all you need for this story. I wouldn't mind seeing more except for the fact that people hate on it so much. So I don't think we'll get one. But anyway, yeah, that's too I think, bad. Yeah. But we got one. So I say watch it. And the meanwhile, we watched some other stuff, so why don't we get onto that? uh, yeah, computer animation, even yeah,
1: yeah, um, you started me off with something called Alma. Do you ever get this thing where the first time you hear a word is not in its usual context and then it taints your <laughs> your comprehension of that word for the rest of your life. Do you mean the name Alma? In this case, yes, okay. I was just wondering if this is a phenomenon that other people have... Because Alma is a street or neighborhood or something in Vancouver. Uh, I I know that, you know, I've seen buses with the word Alma on their destination. Okay. But the thing is, the first time I encountered the word Alma was as the roly-poly enemy in the video game, The Adventures of Lolo. Huh. And so, so every time I think of Alma, that's what I think about.
0: Huh. And this short... This short is not about the roly-poly enemy in The Adventures of Lolo. Yeah, I always think of the Book of Mormon, but it's not about that either.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a little computer animation thing. What was the director's name again? Rodrigo Blas. Thank you. Um. Huh. So this wasn't what I was expecting. Mm. Um, we get a, li- a little person. I don't know if this is a girl or a boy. I do not. I mean, Alma sounds like a girl's name to me, but I don't live in Spain or wherever this is from. Typically, typically a girl's name. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with girl for now, but I could be wrong. Uh, So this girl is hanging out in the streets of whatever town, uh, having a good time, hopping along, playing, uh, writing her name in chalk on a wall that seems to have other names written on it as well. And she sort of senses from behind her a storefront with a rather ominous looking uh,
0: window. It kind of looks like the mouth of a bear or something. And inside... Right, Right. it's like from uh, the Tomb of Horrors. Yeah, yeah. Inside, on the other side of this window, appears to be a,
1: a tall, like, porcelain doll... That looks exactly like her. And she goes and takes a look and she's kind of fascinated by it. Then does it, does it move at this point or does that later? I don't remember.
0: No, it doesn't move yet. No.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she decides that she wants to check it out. And so she tries to get into the store, but the door is locked. And she just kind of huffs and throws a snowball at the door and walks away But as soon as she starts walking away, the door just opens by itself. And so she walks in, finds that the doll is not in the window front anymore, but it is on a pedestal in the middle of the store. And so she heads towards it, but in the process, knocks over another creepy little doll on a bicycle, which is trying to ride. And she sets it up you know, puts it back upright again, and it immediately darts for the door, but can't make it out because the door closes by itself just in the nick of time. But this doll continues to bang on the door like it's just, well, either it's a toy that's just set on going straight or it's trying to get out. And at this point, Alma finally rises up and finds that the doll is no longer on that pedestal. And she looks all over and she finds it on the wall with a bunch of other dolls. Of course, she's still fascinated by it, climbs up, takes off her glove, reaches up to grab it. And then the next thing she knows, she's looking out from inside the doll. And the doll, she's gone. The doll is there with her. Its original eyes were blue. Now they are her green eyes. And they're just looking around and she's unable to move otherwise and all the other dolls also have eyes that are all looking around and unable to move and
0: it pans out and that's basically the end well there's a whole a fresh new doll comes up in the window
1: oh right yes i forgot yeah. about that yes yes a new a brand new doll a red-haired girl in a dress rises up i guess to lure another child
0: Yeah. Into this weird trap. Yeah. I gave you holiday horror.
1: Yeah, you did. I was... I wasn't expecting it. This is pretty
0: Halloween-ish. Yeah, but it's Hmm. snowing outside and it's a toy store, so... Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Comments that I saw on YouTube mentioned that I sort of noticed uh, beside the chalkboard that she's writing her name on were some posters, and... Mm. Apparently, comments on YouTube spotted that some of these posters were, I guess, pictures of missing children Mm. with a word in, I guess, Spanish, which translates into danger, Mm. Uh, which I didn't catch because I don't speak Spanish or whatever language that is. Right. Uh, And also, I couldn't really see it very well. Right. But um, yeah, so weird little hints about whatever's going on in this creepy little store. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is just a little short film. That's just a standalone thing. It doesn't, it's not under no obligation to explain itself. You know, little shirts like this can do that. They can be like, yeah, here's just a little thing that happened. What's the story behind it? Eh, You figure it out. Well,
0: that's cool though. Uh, Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No, no, no. I'm I'm not blaming it. I'm not saying that's a a drawback. Like that's, (laughs) it's, it's neat. It, it kind of leaves you thinking like, what? what what's the story behind this
0: yeah and you know i've said before that a lot of modern animated shorts are too simplistic mm. and and this fits that uh, it's it's a simple idea but the execution was pretty neat fairly professional well exactly professional actually oh yeah yeah like it looks yeah. great i don't know what else you would add
1: to i think if you added anything more to it it might actually detract from it i think yeah. leaving
0: so much unknown is what makes it compelling sure you know That trap doll is literally Mm. made for you, right? Yeah. So, and at least for Alma, the trigger seemed to be when she wrote her name on the slate. Mm. So at the end of the cartoon, presumably another child has just written her name on the slate. Well, presumably, like I was actually waiting when that second doll popped up. I Mm. was kind of waiting
1: for a girl matching that description to walk into frame And it didn't happen. It actually just focused in on the on the slate, which didn't have a new name on it. And in fact, it faded to
0: just the word Alma again, like an end title kind of thing. Right. Um, Well, it might have had another name. Hard to tell, but Mm. and so this is like a ghost or something, or maybe the store itself is a monster. As you know, it kind of looks like a face. This is Um, like the Pokemon evolution of a DD and d mimic. Right. Right, right, yeah. So I, I think it's pretty neat. The, uh, the director has animated quite a lot of uh, main mainstream stuff that he worked on: The Incredibles, Ratatouille, oh. Wall-E, mm-hmm. Up, Brave, um, Cars, if you care, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ice Age. If you, but these are still these are still big productions. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, he's an old hand for sure. Well, and it shows through like, you know, I'm
1: you can't complain about the quality of the like the artwork or the animation or anything like it looks, you know, if there was an entire Disney Pixar movie that looked like this, you wouldn't blink. It'd be like, yeah, that's this is the quality we expect from a, a studio
0: of that caliber. Well, speaking of that, I don't know if this has gone anywhere because talks about it were from 2010. Mm. But DreamWorks was looking at this, looking at expanding this into a a fuller movie. Oh. But again, hard to know. And, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, expressed an interest in it. But again, he expressed an interest in tons of things. So it's hard to know, right, if this will come to fruition. But Mm, yeah, maybe. Eh, who knows?
1: I mean, you'd think, yeah, I'm just looking here and... You know, it says June 2012 is still in visual development. You'd think that in nine years, something would have come from that.
0: Hard to know. Yeah. Hard to know. I mean, it's it's a little outside of what DreamWorks is.
1: Actually, I'm just um, something I totally missed. Yeah. Uh, Apparently Alma is the Spanish word for soul. Oh, huh. Neat. That's, yeah, that's it. Hmm. I, I wish I had researched that before I started <laughs> recording this, because that's well, really cool.
0: Her poor soul is trapped forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: <sighs> okay, let's, uh, let's go a little more upbeat. <laughs> All right. Uh, like, uh, freezing in winter. Yeah, that's sure. The... Hypothermia. That's the stuff. <laughs> Plagues. Yeah. <laughs> That's the focus of a Looney Tune titled Odor of the Day, directed by Arthur Davis in 1948. So at the beginning, we see a goofy bulldog and he seeks refuge from the snow and the cold. He first tries a doghouse, but he's muscled out by its occupant, a bigger, meaner bulldog. (laughs) Which is weird. You don't often see that in cartoons. I think Looney Tunes, the default dog, is Bulldog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe cartoons in general. Mm. So the dorky dog climbs a tree to rest in a nest. <laughs> but a brawny hawk gives him a savage beating for trying. So this is the only other appearance of this dog design. Uh, the other one was Dog on Cats. In that, he was called Wellington. And it has the same director. So it's probably safe for me to call him Wellington, Wellington rather from here on. Okay. So next we see Wellington. uh, Actually, we see a tortoise finish his swim in the frozen lake and try to crawl back into his shell. He angrily is forced to transpose Wellington out from squatting in his shell. (laughs) This looks to me to be Bugs rival, Cecil Turtle. Or Cecil Turtle? Is it Cecil? Cecil or Cecil? Cecil, isn't it? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, it, it might not heard, be. I never heard that name pronounced Cecil until
0: the Simpsons. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I always thought the guy from Final Fantasy was Cecil. Mm-hmm. And then I heard Cecil all the time. Anyway, it might not be, you know, not all terrapins look alike to me. <laughs> and this is weird <laughs> on a tangent. Only recently did I hear the notion that... Like the super group of these animals is turtles. I always thought that a tortoise is not a turtle, Huh. but apparently it's a land turtle. I don't know, really? and the, but also it varies by region. Anyway, it sh- it shocked me. I was looking at a video about tortoises, and they kept calling them land turtles. Um, oh well, I'm I just glanced at Wikipedia, and like
1: the second sentence is they are particularly distinguished from other turtles. Right. So the word other there implies that they, huh? Well, I'll they, be darned. Almost yeah.
0: 44 years old and I learned something new. Yeah, yeah me too. So anyway, back to the plot. Uh, Wellington finally finds an empty cabin with a back in one hour sign on its door. He hurries in to test the warm bed. Following that, a snow covered Pepe Le Pew enters the cabin and he crawls into bed with the dog. Naturally, his repellent smell makes Wellington usher him outside. But the skunk has that cartoon savoir-faire, and he's immediately back in bed, in fact, curled around Wellington's head. (laughs) A clothespin on Wellington's nose defends him against the power of Pepe's stink machine gun. You know what I'm talking about, where he holds his tail and it goes, Yeah, yeah. uh, But the pin is discarded during a scuffle. Wellington ends up jumping out the door and falling through the ice of the lake. And good-natured enough not to see a dog die, Pepe fishes him out uh, of the the water and gets the dog out of the ice with a very precise axe chop. (laughs) His time in the ice granted Wellington a head cold, and his stuffed nose makes him immune to the stink again. At this point, I don't really understand the dilemma. Because now they really ought to be able to share the bed, right? I guess, um, yeah. Now that you yeah. now that you mentioned it, yeah. Anyway, I think... May, well, anyway, we'll get to it then. Uh, so, uh, then a rock with a note attached, thrown by Pepe, uh, crashes through the window of the cabin and wakes Wellington. The note warns that a cold can be fatal, and it can... Uh, So the dog dials for a doctor. Pepe, in disguise as a doctor, is already there to fill the role. And he actually cures him with a mustard plaster, a steam box, a hot bath, and then treating him like a piece of laundry, complete with ironing him out. (laughs) Unfortunately for the dog, it resets his vulnerability, and the skunk exploits it again. So Wellington willingly jumps in the lake thaws himself by the fireplace and regains his cold. You know, I don't think I've actually seen a mustard plaster in real life. I mean, it's just something that I kind of accepted as
1: an old-timey or grown-up cure when I saw this cartoon as a kid. But
0: yeah, like, what does that even mean? Well, it actually uses mustard seeds. And I think the idea is that it actually heats your chest. Oh. But... I've read that there's no evidence that it works. And that's probably why (laughs) we've never had a mustard plaster. (laughs) But, you know, this cartoon, it works. Yeah. Wellington employs a perfume bottle, which Pepe finds just as offensive as Wellington does his stink. (laughs) This makes Pepe also adopt the radical solution of jumping into the lake to gain a cold. And now that both are immune to stinks... The skunk and dog amiably share the bed but (laughs) someone's still coming back in less than an hour right (laughs) well uh, unless we assume that it's Peppy's house oh you know I hadn't thought that maybe he was in the right the whole time (laughs) that actually makes sense (laughs) that explains everything (laughs) yeah I was amusing that it might be that MGM cartoon bear that hates noise. But, oh uh, man! Oh, <laughs> shut up! Quiet! Yeah. Quiet! <laughs> <laughs> if if, if, you, if you were recommending three cartoons, it would have been there, I bet, <laughs> for this theme. Anyway, so this is an interesting cartoon uh, because one of the most loquacious Looney Tunes, Pepe, is basically mute in this. Yeah. He plays the role of a doctor. He writes out a note in order to... Like, that's kind of the funny thing, is that uh, cartoons without dialogue usually translate across cultures. Yeah. But this has a handwritten note and then a listing of doctors. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also unique in that Pepe isn't harassing a poor lady.
1: Yeah, and you know, he, he says one line at the end, both him and the dog... When they both sneeze, they both say to each other "Gazouintide," and right. he sounds kind of not. I mean, it's one word and it's hard to tell, but he kind of sounds not very French.
0: Right. So I sort of wonder if this actually is Pepe Le Pew. I think it clearly is. Well, I mean, you'd have to uh, assume. I don't know. Maybe every skunk shoots his tail like a machine gun. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I like Pepe. Actually, I like. I think. I think Chuck Jones, who didn't do this cartoon, but I think he likes Pepe. I you hear him talk about his design, where he's got this sexy hooded look. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty clear he likes him. Um, anyway, it's interesting, interesting for that. Also, this is directed by Arthur Davis. Do you know Arthur Davis? You know, it's not a name that stands out like a Tex Avery or a Chuck Jones. No, not for me either. And when I look at his other Looney Tunes cartoons that he directed... They don't really stand out to me, hmm. which is no indictment of them, really, because uh, I think what this show does is it gives us a chance to look at, like, we reminisce about some of the things we remember fondly, but also we can check out things that maybe we don't know that well. Yeah. So I'd be interested in seeing these cartoons that I don't even really remember that well when I read their summary
1: sure yeah like it was like um a while ago after you made me watch a Dickie Mo and i went and watched all of the uh the gene Di- G- gene diet the check right. right the right che- I, I just watched all of the tom and jerry's i had seen them right. before but it was like oh let me refresh my memory on these
0: right yeah and you know i don't even really remember this cartoon watching it now this one <laughs>
1: Oh I do. I yeah I, I, I remember seeing this cartoon, yeah. I remember the idea of getting the cold so he couldn't smell each other and all mm. that stuff. I remember the gag of like the just the little toes at the bottom of the um uh the ice cubes
0: as they walk in. <laughs> I think that's like a Warner Brothers standard. Well yeah. Anyway, yeah. Any more thoughts on this one? Um, I
1: think you've summarized it pretty well. Um mm. Yeah, it's it's a neat little, you know, it's interesting to see a different take on Pepe Le Pew, question mark. (laughs) See, because, you know, is one of those is one of those cartoon characters where all the cartoons are basically the same.
0: And so it's neat to see one that's like actually different. Hmm. Right. Anyway, I mentioned about uh, us looking at cartoons with a fresh set of eyes and examining stuff we maybe didn't know so well. Yes, mm. I was thinking exactly that um, because I was thinking
1: about this one. Christmas comes but once a year. This is a Max Fleischer deal from 1936. And and like you said, like I, watching these old cartoons like the old Popeyes and the the one with the potato police and stuff. <laughs> it's it's really interesting to see all these weird, really old cartoons that I've never seen before. And they're quite mm. charming. I'm finding myself really drawn to this like really old style of cartoon. Mm. Um this particular one shows us a Max Fleischer fully constructed prop orphanage which rotates around to show us the crudely drawn Merry Xmas sign on the door and it's an orphanage and inside we see stockings with some toys in them and a dilapidated terrible excuse for a Christmas tree that's like if Charlie Brown's dumb Christmas tree grew up it would look like this mm. and we get to see some orphans all hanging out in bed I don't know if Earwig is there <laughs> and we get the classic cartoon gag of a clock which has something other than a cuckoo to wake people up in this case a puppy which hops yeah. down a slide to lick someone's face and this unnamed child wishes everyone a merry christmas cuz it's christmas morning don't you know mhm now it's here now it's here <laughs> yeah yeah it comes once a year and uh yeah there's a little song and dance number as the various <laughs> barely dressed orphans in the <laughs> winter um, happily dance their way into the I don't know living room or main area of their terrible orphanage and they all grab their stockings with their respective toys inside uh, the little baby one has to unravel a stocking to get the little bear out uh, we immediately see that this is an American cartoon because the first kid gets a shotgun.
0: Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah.
1: I mean, at, at this time, you know, toy little pop guns were probably perfectly acceptable everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this kid uh, tries firing his little pop gun, but it instantly falls to pieces. <laughs> and none of the other orphans have much luck either. One of them blows up
0: something i cannot oh. tell what this object is uh, i think it's a football or a rugby ball mm, okay yeah, yeah time has not been kind <laughs> to the visuals or audio of this but i think it's a football it looks like
1: a spare tire with grapes growing out of it or something you're right um but yeah it instantly pops um there's uh, what there's a, a kid on a tricycle that immediately falls apart there's a teddy bear whose stuffing all comes out and all the kids cry as their christmas toys just
0: instantly break let me tell you the beginning of this thing i was thinking well this is obnoxious (laughs) (laughs) and then it got to them all their toys self-destructing and then a hall full of weeping orphans. <laughs> and I, I was hooked, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> I did think, like, at first, as they're all just dancing into the, you know, the main room, I was yeah. thinking, like, oh, is this just going to be one of these cartoons, like the skeleton dance, where it's just, yeah. you know, eight minutes of kids playing with toys? mm. But anyway, no, it turns out all the toys are broken. And as you said, we have a hall full of weeping children. But we also have Professor Grampy, the world famous inventor or an inventor. Anyway, mm. Grampy is a character from the Betty Boop cartoons, uh, who is an old man with a little white beard and a bald head. And he is, as I said, an inventor. And he's riding along the road in his sleigh, which is powered by a like. Outboard motor that pushes through the snow and he's singing the same Christmas comes, but once a year celery stalker slogan that the kids <laughs> were uh, chanting earlier. Yeah, but he passes by the orphanage and hears the cries from inside or I shouldn't say cries. That sounds like they're wailing for help crying from inside. Um. He starts to. He, he considers how he can help these poor orphans, because that's what Grampy does. He is helpful. Um, you have to be when you're a friend of Betty Boop, who is just constantly being harassed by human Peppy LaPews. Yes, <laughs> He puts on his patented thinking cap and gets <laughs> a pretty obvious idea, kind of the only idea you'd think that an inventor would get in this situation, which is... To slip into the orphanage and begin constructing new toys, out of every piece of junk he can find. He spends mm-hmm. a long time gathering stuff, and I like the way he moves too. He like his his oh, feet yes. just kind of wobble all over the place. And he kind of spins
0: around and stuff. He he's got like a bow legged run where yeah, his yeah. feet his feet slap the ground. They don't so much step as slap. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. It is cool.
1: Um. He constructs a sleigh out of a washboard. He makes a airplane somehow. <laughs> I I don't know how <laughs> right. this airplane flies, but it does. I mean, it's it, it's, it's got, got a spoon for a propeller, so you know that's good enough. Right, um, and foil for wings. Right, that was
0: was the foil. Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, um hmm? <laughs> he's this guy's got like Popeye's knack, you know, like. He loads a bunch of tacks in his mouth and spits them out with enough force to drive them. Yeah. That yeah. seems to me something Popeye would do. No, it totally
1: is. And it's probably something Popeye has done. Yeah. Um, I actually, in doing a little research for this, I saw that um, there's at least one person who has considered that Grampy might be the earlier cartoon character Coco the Clown in
0: retirement. Huh.
1: Do you know Coco the Clown?
0: Yeah, and I think of him as being, like, not having this much personality. <laughs> Co- Coco smiles or is astonished. There's there's a reason why he got to... Oh, shoot, what is it? It's not Bosco. Uh
1: Oh, um... um the dog. Um,
0: Be- uh, gosh. Betty, it, Betty it Boop's was origi- boyfriend.
1: He's originally nam- named Fitz, but then they yeah. changed it to something. It was some name. I'm going to look it up because it's some name that I was like, that doesn't sound like a name that a person should have. Uh, <laughs> like is... Alma. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, anyway, uh, back, back to this mess. Um, the kids are still crying because Grampy isn't ready to unveil his surprise yet because he's doing more. He's decorating the place with uh, d- Christmas decorations of the time, which is to say popcorn on strings, which seems mm. like a really I mean, he's constructed a device to launch it out by going through a sewing machine. But like if people actually decorated their homes by threading popcorn through a string, that sounds time consuming. Hmm.
0: I think we're old enough, though, that we at least know about it. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen this from really. Yeah. And I think I made them like in oh. school. I think I made them. Yeah. Huh. Along with those uh, looped uh, cardboard chain links. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, um, Grampy now dresses himself up as Santa Claus and rings a bell to garner the children's attention. And the children are excited to see Santa Claus, despite how he has previously let them down. <laughs> yes. Uh, they all play with new toys, like some kind of weird, uh, like high chair vacuum cleaner car <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, there's a (laughs) weirdest (laughs) yeah there's some weirdly constructed rocking horse uh there's a there's a dangerous there's a train made out of a coffee uh a brewer yes and there's and the orphan who sees it, turns it on with an electric switch, which like, you know, you see the electricity going down it. And I'm thinking like this bare electricity and boiling coffee does not make for a great <laughs> toy for a child. <laughs> they were tough back then, I tells you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Grampy has also covered the stairs with cotton and painted the wall to look like a mountain. So it's a snowy wonderland that the kids can slay down and ski down with skis that also showed up. Um, Grampy has also devised a device with a a device, rather, with a bar of soap and a cheese grater in front of a fan to blow flakes of soap into the wide-eyed children's
0: eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Has snowflakes. Yeah. 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 Make makeshift snow. Yeah. But it is soap. <laughs> and right. like, you know, um, he also
1: stuffs together several umbrellas to make a Christmas tree, a proper one. Well, I mean, it's anything's better than the dumb Christmas tree they had. And then a quick uh, change of shot turns it into one of those three dimensional models that Fleischer loved to use so much, which mm. spins around atop a record player. As the children in Santa Grampy uh, yeah. happily sing their Christmas once a year comes song again.
0: And that's the end of this cartoon. Grampy Claus, I guess. Grampy. There you go. Grampy Claus. Yeah. And then I I have no idea about the very end of this where they show a stamp. I guess it was an ad for something. That's you interesting, too. About? Yeah. Yeah it looks like there's it's very clearly a postage stamp
1: with a, a santa claus of some description on it although the colors seem to be inverted but then again i mean the red and white depiction of santa claus as i understand it was invented by coca-cola to sell coca-cola so right oh know. by the
0: way mm. bimbo. bimbo that's is the right dog. yes
1: i knew it was something weird yes yes I I remember I saw Bimbo in the context of Betty Boop and I was like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) actually, she's well, she just dresses kind of funky, but no, uh, she's a controversial opinion.
1: I think mm. Betty Boop is ugly.
0: No controversy here. She is the original Butterface. (laughs) Well, she's supposed to be a dog. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. She has right. dog ears, right? And then they kept the dog face, but they got rid of the ears. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that, but you're right. And okay, here we go. The 1936 Christmas seal stamp appears oh. on the screen.
1: Uh, okay. I guess yeah. this is a thing that happened. So, yeah. um, I Like I said, I find these old-timey cartoons with their, like, weird fluid animation and, like, you know, the kind of eyes that they have. It's all, it's all old fashioned and out of, you know, out of fashion, out of style. Um Right. But I find it endlessly charming and I'm glad that I get to watch this kind of thing on Animation Celery. It's like what you were saying earlier, you know, the, the, the idea of seeing these things that we've never seen or don't remember. It's a mm. lot of fun. Like I have such an, you know, when I was a kid, I would have dismissed this thing outright as just old Skipped. and boo. Yeah. It but, would have been on a VHS you didn't watch. <laughs> oh, man. But um, in the modern day, like, this is endlessly charming. I really like right. watching this. And also, you know, it's a. <laughs> it it might be the only truly uplifting cartoon that we... Well, I don't know. No, 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 maybe, no. no, no. no maybe, there'll be, maybe there'll be yeah, something yeah. uplifting in the future.
0: I forgot that there's still one more to go. Right, right, right. Well, let's get to that. Yeah. I you we said enough about that. Let's do... Uh, a Tom and Jerry cartoon, mm. Snowbody Loves Me, oh. directed by Chuck Jones in 1964. And it looks like it. Oh, does it ever? And mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Starting right off at the beginning, here it is again, the opening from this era where the MGM logo, the, the roaring lion, uh, dissolves into rather being Tom doing his ineffectual Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, so the story proper. Jerry, struggling against a blizzard, is hit by snow and made to roll down the hills as an ever-growing snowball until he crashes into a village. The best of all shelters is found in the Bavarian town, a cheese shop. He bangs on the door until a snug, rested Tom eventually answers. The unseen mouse enters through his legs and, probably unknowingly, closes the cat out into the cold through the window Tom spies the mouse warming himself by the dim embers of the hearth logs and this is a great joke uh, Tom wipes the frost away from the window once for one eye then the other eye and then uh, <laughs> wipes away a half circle so we can see his scowl <laughs> so he then he hustles to the roof to come down the chimney but by the time he does jerry blows the bellows to build the fire and the pain of landing on fire sends tom firing back up the chimney while jerry indulges in cheese tom uses a fish hook to unlock the door and skid his frozen self next to the fire to defrost feeling his self jerry yodels from within the cheese wheel That he's snacked on and crafted into a homey interior. This is one of those
1: scenes that, you know, it's not something that, like, is at the forefront of my memory at all times. But it's like, as soon as you see it, you're like,
0: right, this. Oh, yeah. You have a knack for picking cartoons that are like that special spot where I see this come on. Man, I love the way cheese looks in Chuck Jones cartoons. (laughs) That is a very niche thing, but at the same time, I get it. Yeah, and especially this cartoon. (laughs) So good. So, um, Tom uses the before-seen bellows to pump Jerry up through the holes of the cheese, but he can never quite catch him before the mouse falls back into the cheese wheel. The cat then goes the extra mile and plugs all the remaining holes with corks, and he drops an anvil from the raptors onto the bellows. The cheese inflates until it bursts, and this literally backfires on Tom as a hail of corks fire his way. (laughs) Afterward, Jerry emerges from the fromage wreckage, (laughs) and with part of the Emmental cheese around his waist like a tutu, impulsively puts on a gay little dance. His reward is getting clapped in Tom's hands and then thrown back out into the cold. Now, I didn't have a fireplace, but if I had a bellows, I'd have surely tried to blow up cheese or something else. (laughs) (laughs) I had a fireplace, but I never had a bellows. Hmm. So, while Tom again curls up to relax, he gets plagued with a guilty conscience. He goes back out and rescues Jerry from the cold and nurses him back to health with the warming help of some schnapps. A revitalized Jerry puts on the merry Bavarian costume of a doll, and he dances once again, this time to the accompaniment of Tom on piano. Good stuff. And uplifting. Yes. I like uh, these kinds of cartoons when Tom and Jerry find friendly accord. Yes. And I don't mean, yeah. yeah, I don't mean like how they're chums at the outset in Hanna-Barbera stuff. Right. Yeah. But they're enemies that find a reason to resolve their differences. You know, whether that's that's just because they have humanity or they want to punish someone together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is very similar. The one that I was originally going to give you was something Mm. called. Ah, what was the name of it? It was one of those um, Gene Deitch. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but you know what I mean. Mm. The Czechoslovakian Tom and Jerry's. It's very similar to one of those where Mm. uh, Jerry is a mouse in a penthouse and Tom is freezing in the streets below and he hurls a message in a bottle up. Right. Says like, you know, help, I'm freezing your friend, Tom. <laughs> and Jerry goes and gets him and brings mm-hmm. him in and warms him up. And they, they drink booze together and get drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the woman of the house comes home and is freaked out by the mouse. And so right. Tom betrays Jerry and throws him to the, uh, uh, the, the snow below. Hmm. And then Jerry comes back in and pretends to be the ghost of Jerry and scares the heck out of Tom until the snow wipes away half of the flower that Jerry right. poured all over himself. And then Tom falls again and hurls up another message in a bottle. And this time, Jerry just ignores it. <laughs> so it's like this one with a <laughs> with
0: a worse ending. Right. <laughs> well, that would have been a good one, too. Yeah. Well, it's it's a bonus one, I guess. Since you yeah, just there you go. I, it. Just, I just told um, you what it was. Right, right. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, it, one uh, I got another note on this, actually. Yeah. Uh, just a funny coincidence. Animator Dick Thompson mm-hmm. later worked with Bill Melendez, who was an animator on Odor of the Day, on Charlie Brown cartoons. Huh. Neat. So there's a nice little link between the two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I noticed in the credits, it said that the voices were Mel Blanc, which I thought was interesting because I kind of thought he really only did Warner Brothers stuff, but. Well, usually he's uncredited
0: for this kind of thing. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he probably was, you know, he's like the whenever Jerry has to go, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tom needs to go. Aha. Actually, that's someone else. I took that back. But anyway. Maybe that at the beginning. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) he gets a check every time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is a good little cartoon. It's Tom and Jerry, maybe more than anybody else, has like such distinct eras. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. There's like at least three or four different Tom and Jerry's. I mean,
0: in the the classic days, like they're still going. now. We can group the last 50 years together, though. Yeah. <laughs> As the bad era. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff.
1: I'm glad mm. you liked it. I liked I liked the stuff you gave me, too. It was yeah.
0: fun. We, we had fun. a string of we had a string of hateful weeks. So it was oh, nice to get yeah, some good it was ones. Nice.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So can we keep it going? Let's find out. Because the next episode is actually going to be on Christmas Day. And so we got to do like Christmas, actual like Christmas stuff. We're doing Christmas, Christmas episodes. At least I am. I don't know about you. Right. Well, mine sort of is. It's Christmas as we understand it, but maybe not as the characters in the show understand it. Because the show that I'm talking about takes place a few thousand years in the future. Ha. Micah, what time is it? Oh, is it Adventure Time? It is Adventure Time. Ah. You're going to you're going to watch the much heralded Christmas episode of Adventure Time. Okay, it's and as Adventure Time has half episodes, it's two of them. Holly Jolly
0: secrets, part One and two, okay, I don't think I've seen this ooh, so that's kind of neat. I was kind of
1: hope I was sort of going like he may have seen this, in which case, okay,
0: but if he hasn't, ooh, this is gonna be special we'll see i'll I'll figure it out eventually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, okay, cool adventure time um I'm going. Less modern, but still not old. Uh, For you, I have an episode of Justice League. Oh. Yes, it's Comfort and Joy from Season 2, Episode 23. Hmm. So we'll have all that. We'll have have Adventure Time, Justice League, and finally some JoJo's. All right. And I think I might end up talking about dogs in space.
1: Hmm. All right. So great. Um, if you'd like to give us a fine Christmas present or late Hanukkah present or whatever holiday, if any, you celebrate at this time of year, what we would love is for you to share this show with everyone, you know, and make sure that everybody listens to it. And we would also like to listen to whatever you have to tell us about it.
0: So talk to me. On Twitter, at AC Right, and I'm at Drab Swatch. And now, with the stress of the holidays, I have some suggestions to lessen the Christmas crunch. Mm. Here are some great last-minute stocking stuffers. Geppel's Goo Peppermint Shoes. <sighs> Assorted Deadly Weapons. The coffee and cigarettes are for the cartoonists. <laughs> An Arcadian Triggy. Don't forget the batteries. And the Celery Stalker's (laughs) slogan…
1: Thanks, OJ.